So we started off last week asking the question, how do people change? Everybody wants to change, but not everybody knows how to change. So why do I keep making the same New Year's resolutions four years in a row? Why do I keep writing down the same goals five years in a row and not accomplishing them? So the question for last week that we asked and we answered was, how do people change? And so we, we talked to them then about keystone habits and how there were certain habits that we had to put into place in order for there to be lasting change. So after the service last week, during, during the middle of the week, I got this note from somebody, and it really fits. It puts an exclamation point on what we did last week and where we're going this week. Here's what she said. I've been sitting Harborside now for over six years and have grown stronger in my Christian walk based on some positive changes and habits that have occurred over the last few years. I understand that some of these changes may not apply to you. However, they've made a huge impact on positive changes in my life. And then she starts writing about my former priorities. She said, my former priorities. Early on in my attendance at Harborside, Sunday worship was not my primary interest. At least she's honest, okay? What was of great interest and anticipation for me was my favorite show called Desperate Housewives. I love her honesty. She likes that better than she does our sermons. That's a good woman, okay? Um, the, most des- the more desperate the housewives became, the more I enjoyed it. To satisfy my salacious appetite waiting for the next Sunday episode, I would engross myself in nightly reading of the latest romance novel from a New York Times bestseller. I would announce regularly to my husband, this is real trash, but I enjoy reading it. Over the last few years, my priorities began to change. I think it all started with a connect group. That was the learning in moment that Pastor Kurt often challenged us with. My connect group leader would often share with us what a delight it was to read and find great encouragement from studying the Bible. As I leaned in further, I gave it a go. I dusted my old Bible from the shelf and I began thumbing through it. The more I read, the more my priorities changed. I had always known that God had loved me and sent his son Jesus to die for me, but I'd really not given it much thought until I was reading the Bible regularly. As a result of being in a connect group and reading and studying my Bible, my life and my priorities over the last few years have truly changed. Also, I'm sure you've probably figured out by now that the thrill I once found in those salacious romantic novels and TV shows have long since been replaced because on my nightstand and on my breakfast table, you will find my favorite book, my study Bible. That's really what we're talking about. How do people change? And last week we mentioned some keystone habits that help change people. Research really doesn't know why, but if you make your bed every day, and researchers will tell you, we don't know why this is true. But people who make their bed every day, there's a list of benefits that come in those people's lives. And researchers would say people who exercise regularly, there's a list of other benefits besides exercise that just comes regularly. And and secular research said we don't really know why, but families who eat dinner together every night Mom and dad and kids have, you know, three or four meals together during the week. The benefits for those children, better homework, better self-studies, better discipline. And research says, we're not really sure why, but those keystone habits 
are like little levers that open up giant doors. And, and so, you know, in the church, I mean, we want to change. We, we want to understand how people change. And so could it be that simple? Could it be that, that simple that if I could change a few simple habits in my life, that those habits would then open up doors for me and for my family? Well, the Bible would say yes. The Bible would say, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So I want to talk about that again today. And I want to start in a little different approach with this slide on the screen. Because this is you. This is me. You and I will never leave where you are until you decide where you'd rather be. I want you to think about that. You will never leave where you are. No matter where you are in your prayer life, you'll never have a better prayer life until you decide, I want a better prayer life. No matter what your understanding of Scripture is, you will never have a greater understanding of Scripture until you understand where you'd like to be. No matter how honest you are, you will never become more honest until you decide where you want to be. If you're still, you know, struggling with insecurities or immaturities or shame or greed or guilt or lust, whatever, you won't grow You won't change, you won't transform until you decide, where is it that I want to be? And so in order to change, step one is we have to decide, okay, I'm on a scale of one to ten. I'm a four when it comes to mercy, but I'd like to be a five. Or I'm a a six when it comes to generosity, but but I'd like to be a, a, a nine. You won't change. Nobody changes. The science of change, people do not change until you decide where I'd rather be. That's the first step. Step number two, it's not what you say, it's what you sow. Nobody changes just because they say it. They only change when they, when they do it, when they sow it, okay? You're a C student in high school. And you're going, I want to be a B student. You can say it all day long. I want to be a B student, a B student, a B student. I'm a C student. I want to be a B student. But until you change your study habits or until you change your schedule or until you change your routine or until you change who you hang out with, you're not going to make Bs. You're going to continue to make Cs, right? You can say, I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a better marriage. But until you have date nights or Go on vacation once a year without your kids or whatever it is. Your marriage will not get any better. It's not what you say. It's what you sow, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 27, the children of Israel have spent 40 years in the wilderness. And they have wandered for 40 years. And God's trying to reveal to them that he is their God and they will be his people. And here's what happens in in Deuteronomy chapter 27. All the people are gathered together, and they're going to renew the covenant. And God sets them up for success that if you want to be successful, if you want to have a great life with me, here's what I'm going to do for you, and here's what you get to do with me. And so Deuteronomy chapter 27 says this, Moses, the elders of Israel, commanded the people, keep all these commands that I give you today. And in chapter 27, 28, 29, 30, he gives all these commands. If you do these, you'll be blessed. If you don't do these, you will be cursed. If you do these, you will have life. If you don't do these, you will have death. So that's what those three chapters are about. Keep all these commands that I give you today. And when you've crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God has given you, set up some large stones. Now look at this. 
he's going to have some large, huge stones, and he's going to coat them with plaster. Why is he going to coat them with plaster? Look at the next verse. Write on them all the words of this law. So on these large stones, God's going to put his word, his scriptures, his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances. And God is going to ask the people to do something very specific with these words. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you've crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Now, why are they going to coat them with plaster? So they can write on them. Coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. Now, if you've been asleep, read the last, next part with me, okay? Wake up. Poke somebody if they don't look like they're paying attention. This is the whole point right here. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. Why? Because if you keep these laws, commandments, statutes, ordinances that I give to you, you will find life. And so chapter 27, chapter 28, chapter 29, chapter 30, and the whole thing ends with this. Chapter 30, verse 19. And he says, now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live. And this is your life. Everyone in this room, these two trees represent your life. This is a Charlie Brown tree. Anybody have a Charlie Brown tree at Christmas time? Okay, a few of you. Those are ugly. All right, that's a Charlie Brown tree. <laughs> this tree is the tree you want. It's got soil in it. It's got water in it. It's got nutrition in it. It's going to have fruit in it. This is the kind of tree you want. And basically, in these three chapters, God is telling Moses and all the two or three million Israelites... You get to choose, and you do too. Every person in this room gets to choose whether or not this will be your life or whether or not this will be your life. And everybody's life is going to represent one of these two trees. And the way that you fall into the will of God and you stay in the will of God is with the Scriptures. And there's 500 different ways God says this. There's 500 different times and applications where God is saying, keep my word, follow my scriptures, obey my commandments, follow the statutes that I give to you, and you will live. And so in 2016, you got to choose. Am I going to change? And change doesn't occur just because I say it. Change only occurs when I sow it, when I do it. That's why, as a whole church, we're going to read the Bible together. That's why, as a whole church, we're, we've got an app. And probably a lot of you, most of you in this room have smartphones. And if you don't have a smartphone, we'll put it on the website. But we've got three different levels. One's a beginner, one's a moderate, and one's an intense level. Maybe as a family, you do the beginner level at breakfast. Or you do the beginner level every night for dinner together. And then on your own, you might cho choose to do one of the other two levels. But the point is, as a body of Christ, we're going to read the Scriptures together. 
I have an agenda for your life. I do. I want to do everything within my power, my influence, and my ability to hook you on the habit of reading the scriptures every single day. Now, the cool thing about the app is it's got five days, and if you mess up, you've got two days, you can make it up, okay? So it's five days of reading, but if you mess up, you've got two days to catch up. But, but the, the point is this. He wants this for you. He has this in store for you. But it comes back to you. It is your choice. But it is the keystone habit that will cause everything in your life to either fall in place or eventually to come uprooted and come unglued. When, when Danita and I were, were first married, we went to a furniture store. And I still laugh at this story. The store, this, this salesman, I, I'd never bought furniture before. We were poor as church mice. I think it was like the first time we'd ever, you know, church mice, they're really poor because there's no food in the church, you know. House mice live well, but church mice don't live very well. That's the joke. We were poor as church mice. So we go to buy some furniture, our first little apartment or whatever. And the salesman, it was an expensive store, and um, we couldn't afford any of that. So I said, is there anything like on clearance? you have any good stuff on clearance? He said, come follow me, young man. So we go to the back, and he said, son, he said, this furniture is as is. I'm thinking that's a name brand. I don't know what that means. I, I, I've never bought furniture before. And he said, I said, what, what do you mean? What, what, is, that, is it good furniture? And he's looking at me like, you are the dumbest, you know. He said, son, that's as is. And I said, I heard you the first time. I don't know what you mean. Son, it's as is. In other words, it's not going to get any cheaper than that. You take it or you leave it. It's as is. And Danita and I still laugh about that story today, but it's true. God takes all of us in this room as is. He takes all of us as is, but he will not leave you where you are. He takes you as is. But he expects you to fall in love with him, find his word, find his will, and live the life he's called you to live. He's called you to bring him glory. You're going to start off as is. We're all as is. No matter how far you've sinned, no matter how great your mistakes are, no matter how far you've gone off the reservation, you are as is. But he will not leave you as is. He's going to move you to where he wants you to be. And so that's why the scriptures say this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God, Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, that's what the scriptures will do. Remember, you've got to decide where you want to be. You'll never leave where you are until you decide where you'd rather be. So if you decide that you are where you want to be, you will never grow. But if you start reading the scriptures... The scriptures are active. They're alive. They're sharper than a double-edged sword. Look what the scriptures do. You can shuck and jive me and everybody else in this room and your friends and your neighbors, but you can't shuck and jive God. You've got to come clean with God. You come face to face with the word of God and it will slice you and dice you, but it will change you. It will transform you. It's sharper. It penetrates It even penetrates, it can divide your soul and your spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your spirit and your soul are two different parts of you. The Word of God can divide that. 
It keeps going. It can even divide the joints and the marrow inside of your very bones. And it judges the thoughts and it judges the attitude of the heart. It's amazing what God's Word can do. You want to grow this year? You want to be different this year? You want to end 2016 further, farther down the road than you are today? Start this habit and we're all going to do it together. Let's know what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11 says that if you do this, you will not regret it. Here's what he says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering, I'm sorry, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. So are my scriptures. So is my statutes, my ordinance, my commandments. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. You read the scriptures. This is a promise from God that it will not return to you empty. But I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I had lunch about a month ago with a friend of mine from our church downtown St. Pete. And it was a fascinating story because I, I didn't know his story. And he's in his late 40s. And um, today he's just, just incredibly successful. But he told me about a story of his life five or six years ago. He had a million dollars, lost a million bucks, went bankrupt, and had a significant relationship walk out on him all at the same time. Bankrupt, lost a million bucks, significant relationship walk out. Devastated. The man is devastated in his life. Another, He didn't go to church, didn't go to our church. But a man from our church gave him a Bible. And the man from our church told him, this will change your life. I encourage you to read it. And so the man that lost a million bucks, went bankrupt, and lost his relationship, began to read the scriptures. And he began to devour them. He couldn't get enough of the scriptures. And the scriptures began to talk to him and speak to him and change him and transform him. That's what God promises to do. You might be as is. But you're not going to be where you were. God's going to take you and transform you with his will and his scriptures and his word. And so in 2016, that's the first habit that we're going to do together. Now, the second habit, it's a tough one. The second habit, you're still saved whether you do it or not. You're still the Christian. You're still going to heaven. Um, You might even get there a little faster if you don't do this one. But the second one is on fasting. And nobody said a word in first service. And when I said fasting, it was like, just like this room. Nobody cheered. Nobody said, yay, raw. Nobody said, praise the Lord. Nobody said, let's charge the hill together. Okay? So I, I have a love-hate relationship with fasting. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to do it together. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. But fasting has changed me more than anything else in my spiritual disciplines. Because in fasting, you combine prayer and you combine scripture together. I got a love-hate relationship with fasting. I don't like to fast. This is funny. I'm leading you in the fast. I don't like to fast. I like food. Anybody in the room like food? That's right, baby. We are a gluttonous congregation. I like it. But we're going to do a partial fast for 21 days. And we're going to start next Sunday, and we're going to finish on Saturday before Super Bowl, because I'm smarter than that, all right? (laughs) Yeah, baby. I timed this out just right, okay? So Super Bowl, you can eat what you want to eat. I don't care. 
I'm coming to your house. Anyway, um, so we're going to start with a partial fast, and it's called a Daniel fast, and it's for 21 days. But, but here's the point. So you pick a food or pick a couple foods that mean something to you. If it doesn't mean something to you, it won't mean something to your Heavenly Father. So you pick something that means something to you. I have done no sweets. I have done um, no desserts, which is sweets. I've done no bread, chips. I did pizza one time. Um, this past year, Danita and I have actually done three. We actually did three 21-day fasts together. So I'm not asking you to do something that we don't do. Um, but this was kind of a funny story. In December, December the 1st through December 21st, we did another 21-day fast. And it was really funny because on December 22nd, a woman from our church brought us a homemade key lime pie. And I had fasted sugar. I had not had sugar for 21 days. And on December 22nd, uh, I ate that first piece of key lime pie. I ate two pieces of key lime pie in five minutes. I almost went into a diabetic coma right there. <laughs> I was vibrating 30 minutes later. I, I was shaken. But, but the, the point is this. Why, why would we do this? Why would we do this? Well, here's what fasting is. Look at some of these three points right here. Number one. Yeah, let me go to the points. Go, go, go to the points if you would. Number one. Fasting is the secret source of power that is often overlooked. Now, now why, why is it overlooked? I, I went through Bible college. I went through seminary. I went through four years of college, three years of graduate school. I got two Bible degrees. Nobody ever talked about fasting. I can't believe it. Nobody ever talked about fasting. It says, I've learned there are 17 different individuals in the Old Testament that fasted. There are seven New Testament fasts. How in the world did we miss this? And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. Jesus never says, if you pray, if you give, or if you fast. Jesus says, Jesus says, when. And what Deb just shot up on the screen was Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 says, you don't fast while the bridegroom is there, but someday the bridegroom is going away. And when the bridegroom comes away, that's when you fast. That's today. The bridegroom went away. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. In those days, they will fast. That's today. So the first point is, fasting is about, is about some of those great things that happen. Number two, it's about breakthroughs. Breakthroughs. What breakthroughs do you need in your life? I wouldn't buy a car without fasting. I wouldn't go on a date without fasting. I wouldn't take a new job without fasting. I wouldn't buy a house without fasting. I wouldn't consider a move without fasting. I would fast. I don't have grandkids. I would fast for grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We fast for our children all the time. We fast about our marriage. We fast about our ministry. We fast about our church. I wouldn't do anything major in life without fasting. Why? Because fasting is, is that secret source of power that's often overlooked. You're not manipulating God. Look at number three. Fasting, fasting is releasing the favor and blessings of God in the life of a believer. You're not going to manipulate Him. You're fast. You can't manipulate your Heavenly Father. I think you should ask for whatever you want to ask for. And some of our fasts this past year, I would say about half of the things that we really fasted for actually came into being. They all didn't come into being. And so sometimes that makes us think, well, maybe we should keep fasting until we get all the answers to all the things that we need breakthroughs from and for. So that's what fasting is about. It's about the secret source of power. It's about breakthroughs. It's about releasing the favor and the blessings of God.
So where in your life do you need some breakthroughs? Financially, relationally, academically, medically, health-wise. Where in your life would you like to experience more supernatural favor of your Heavenly Father? Well, I want to quickly give you ten things that fasting is. And so if you've got your bulletin, your note taker, you can go back home and kind of look over these. But these are, these are ten different pieces that, that fasting is. Number one, fasting is an invitation. It's not part of your salvation. Christ is your salvation. You come to Christ. Salvation is about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's about the blood of the Lamb covering you all your sins. That's what, but fasting is an invitation to go deeper with God. Number two, fasting is a grace. Now, what do I mean by a grace? It's a mystical connection. Do you want to feel close to God? Do you want to feel intimate with your Heavenly Father? Do you want to feel like you're in God's will? Fasting is a mystical connection. Number three, fasting is humbling yourself before God. So at breakfast and lunch and dinner, you've given up your coffee or you've given up. One lady a couple years ago gave up vodka. I thought that was a really good idea. Maybe for 365 days, not just for 21. But anyway, I was a little shocked by that. Um, but but it's, it's, it's picking a food. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's desserts. Maybe it's red meat. Maybe it's chips or pizza. It's something that... Your frappuccino, it's something that means something to you. If it doesn't mean something to you, it won't mean something to your Heavenly Father. So you pick a food that means, or foods that mean something to you. Number four, fasting is an act of worship. You bet it is. You've humbled yourself. You're asking God for great breakthroughs. Number five, fasting is giving up something good so you can have something better. It's giving up something good. You like what you eat. You like these different foods. But you want the presence of God in your life and the power of God even more. Number six, fasting is a spirit-led self-examination. You bet it is. When you fast, the Holy Spirit reveals truth, 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 light, 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 light to your life. You cannot fast and not have spirit-led self-examination. All right? Number seven. Fasting increases our dependence on God. You're hungry. Your stomach's rumbling and roaring. But you're going to depend upon God. I hunger and thirst for you, O Father. I hunger and thirst. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Number eight. Fasting allows us to set aside time to pray through the Scriptures. See, fasting is not just doing without food. That, that's called starvation. That's not what this is about. That's a diet. This is not a diet. This is a spiritual plan. So you take the scriptures, and we've got scriptures for you. We'll start next Sunday. We'll end before Super Bowl. Don't worry. We'll take the scriptures, and we'll go through this. And you pray through the scriptures. You pray through the Bible together. Number nine, fasting expresses our deepest heartfelt desires to God. When's the last time you've expressed your deepest desires? Oh, God, this is what I long for. Oh, God, this is what I want. This is your will. Don't give up on your dreams. Ask your father. And number 10, fasting expresses our urgency to God. You bet it does. So we'll start next Sunday. How many of you in the room have never been through any kind of a fast before in your life? This, this is new for you. 
That's all. That's great. That's great. Okay, we took pictures of you. We're expecting you to do this next week. No, I'm just, I'm just, just, just kidding. Just kidding. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's 21 days. It's giving up something you like for something even greater. And I know from those past years of stories of the great growth and transformation that's taken place. Now, how do I know that? Because Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. Well, this past week, uh, we had a very dear saint that went to be with Jesus. Uh, Our friend, uh, Millie Huff, uh, was 99 years old. And she didn't make it to 100. April the 12th or 14th, she'd have been 100. And we were going to have a big cake and a big party. It'll have to wait till we get to heaven. Okay? But this past week, our friend Millie passed away. Missionary to Sierra Leone, Africa, 1943. Started a mission there, she and her husband. We as a church have helped build 15 or plus church buildings there in Africa the last 10 years. But this lady was amazing. And the reason she was amazing is because of the Word of God. Sharp, articulate, Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and studied the Scriptures and knew the Scriptures. So Danita and I would visit her. Danita would visit her more than I would, but Danita would visit her. And the few times that I was there with Danita, Danita would actually suggest a Bible passage that Millie really liked. And so she would say, I'll never forget the day that Danita said, read Isaiah 53. She loves Isaiah 53. So I didn't have a Bible with me, but I had my phone. So I pulled out my phone. I began to read Isaiah 53. And as I'm reading Isaiah 53, I can hear Millie. And I, I, I'm look, I look up, and she's quoting the chapter. She's quoting. I'm reading it from the phone. I'm reading it, the Bible. And here this 90-some-year-old woman at the time, 97 at the time, she's just quoting Isaiah 53. The Word of God transformed her life. Remember the verse, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee? The the scriptures were in her life. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, I could see the value of the word of God in a woman's life. And at 99, she was happy. At 99, she was articulate. At 99, she would laugh um, the family was actually out of town, so we actually ha- got her on one of the holidays. And I couldn't get her back in the nursing home. The nursing home was locked up, locked down. I couldn't get her back in. And so I said, Millie, I guess you and I are going to spend the night in the parking lot. And she just laughed. thought that was funny. The preacher and I are going to sleep all night in the car together. She thought that was hilarious. <laughs> the Word of God transformed her life. This was her. I'm your pastor. I know what works. I know if you don't implement this habit, you're going to be over here. And then we got to pick up the pieces and we'll pick up the pieces and we'll help you and we'll love you through this. But I'd rather not pick up the pieces. I'd rather have you over here. I'd rather have you here where you're a flourishing life and you're adding value to everybody that you come into contact with. Choose life so that you and your children 
may live. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. Maybe today is your day to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe today is just to have somebody pray for you. I need help with the scriptures. I need help with the fast. Maybe today is your day to be prayed for. But I'm going to ask you to choose life. Well, actually, I'm not. He's inviting you to choose life so that you and your children may live. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are God Almighty. You've given us the scriptures and you've given us the narrow way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many, many follow it. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And only a few find it. Oh, God, let us find it. Let us choose it. Let us embrace it. We love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray.